Hey, everyone. Today I have with me for some discussion Raul Eshelman, a professor of Slavic literature at the Ludwig Maximilian University in Munich and formulator of the framework performatism, which um, has been very influential in broader post-postmodern conversations and, and uh, something that I've been very influenced by. Um, it's uh, probably best articulated in uh, Eshelman's book, Performatism mm -hmm. or the End of Postmodernism. It's also, you also have an uh, an article that was included uh, in the discussion that is the metamodernism, historicity, affect, and depth after postmodernism anthology. And I would say, uh, generally speaking, are working, have been working in that sort of uh, similar space of, of analyzing and theorizing uh, post postmodernism or what comes after postmodernism uh, through the lens of kind of cultural analysis and uh, assessment and theorizing about cultural production. Um, and for my money, I think doing it incredibly brilliantly and incredibly insightfully. So it's a joy and an honor to have you uh, for some uh, discussion today. Um, and I guess, yeah, let's just kind of hop into it. I think that, um, you know, probably a lot of people who are watching this or are familiar with the stuff I'm doing are, are probably basically conversant in metamodernism. Um, so it might be helpful if you just wanted to give a little bit of a, uh, an overview or just some, some summary, some important kind of, uh, you know, kind of basic presentation of performatism and maybe how that fits into conversations around post postmodernism. And, uh, uh, yeah, I guess let's start there. Okay. That's, a, <laughs> that's a tall order to begin with. Um, um, it's, yeah, it's difficult to say where to begin. Um, I think one thing that distinguishes what I do from almost everyone else is, is that uh, I insist on, <clears throat> on history, in other words, on reinstating a, um, <clears throat> excuse me, on reinstating a kind of ethical concept of history where you have a, a dialectical, uh, a dialectical relationship between different uh, cultural dominants, and a lot of people say this, but uh, they tend not uh, to do it ultimately. Um, so, uh, performatism, as I understand it, is an attempt to uh, to, to draw this boundary line between postmodernism and what comes afterwards, as precisely as possible. It's obviously not possible to, to do it absolutely absolute rigor, um, but to set up as many criteria as possible to distinguish uh, postmodernism from what comes after it and not fudge and not hedge and not, uh, uh, not uh, do, do any uh, fence straddling. Yeah. So that's my, uh, my basic approach. And I, 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 I believe I'm almost alone in this endeavor. In other words, this um, insistence on uh, old history. I think this is something that um, is important uh, from my point of view that uh, old history <laughs> assumes that there are epochs, that these epochs are based on kind of antagonistic or opposing approaches to the world, to culture, to life. 
and that um, and the history is marked by by how we designate or how we uh, we, we understand these epochs. And mm -hmm. uh, this is something that I've I, I think that <laughs> this is one of my main uh, main points. Um, I that 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 would be be I think uh, a, a good start. Okay. Well, wait. So I yeah, maybe there's a little bit we can unpack there um, because uh, well, one one thing that I want to get into in a minute is um, there are some distinct sort of uh, strategies, or maybe a better word would be uh, kind of uh, devices or uh, forms, genres, uh, artistic artistic mechanisms that are used uh, that you outline in your, in your discussion of performatism that I think can one kind of help fill in, um, you know, some of the specifics about how this works. And, and two, I think also just generally um, kind of explain its essence by means of those different strategies that are deployed. But um, so we can dig into some of like what these, what these forms, what these kind of typically performatist forms and, and styles and, and genres are. Um, but I'm curious, say, say more a little bit about this historical element and the dialectic that you're referring to, because I find that maybe an interesting point of distinction between, as you're saying, kind of separating you from, from what other folks are doing. Yeah, well, the idea is, is that um, obviously postmodernism is still present in people's value systems, in artistic norms in the way people approach things um, so that it hasn't disappeared and it won't disappear entirely. Um, but what has happened is that uh, many of the devices used in postmodernism have been turned around as it were and are now used in, in ways that are utterly, I think this is also one of my main points is that what something postmodern, a very complicated uh, plot structure, uh, something like this, that uh, these kind of things are aimed not at uh, creating some sort of ironic, uh, uh, ironic distance towards the subject matter, uh, but rather focus on transcendence. And this is the other very, very important uh, point that, uh, that I try to make, that uh, of all the things that, of all the possible uh, topics, uh, um, subjects, um, uh, goals that you find in the, in the, the new epoch, um, uh, this, this focus on transcendence or this set towards transcendence mm -hmm. is probably the most important one. It's the, uh, the, the, it's, it's, it's the most important uh, way of uh, of getting out of postmodernism, because postmodernism is about imminence. It's about uh, never being able, about being entrapped in in a world full of signs and a, a world full of false signs, uh, a world full of signs that basically uh, block our access to, uh, to to direct reality. So this is the I think the second point. <laughs> the second important point would be this. Uh, focus on transcendence or set to transcendence, which doesn't necessarily mean that angels have to be flying around flapping their wings. It's uh, not usually, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to involve unreal uh, things happening or, or unbelievable things happening, but it does involve 
overcoming a certain situation in a very distinct way. And this is something that, at least as far as I've been able to, doesn't and never happens in postmodernism, is that uh, uh, you wind up in postmodernism always with a conundrum, with a in, in a dead end, with an sort of an aporetic situation, which goes on endlessly, uh, but there is in a certain sense, no, uh, no, no way of transcending these, these traps that postmodern science mm. set for us. And this mm -hmm. is the, the second point that is, is very important to me. It's also important to the metamodernists uh, with mm -hmm. whom I don't agree on, on uh, everything. Yeah, well, and that would be an interesting thing that I'd like to talk about too, is, is maybe some of those distinctions. Um, but say a little bit more about that. What what do you think um, were the historical circumstances that that kind of lie behind this shift away from radical imminence and the conundrum and the problematizing to transcendence uh, and the the shift to try to um, you know uh, escape the frame, as you put it? Yes. The um, <clears throat> also this 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 is hard to say in what causes it uh, in in. In, in, in terms, in, in, let us say, in real life terms. Um, I'm, I'm always very, very careful about making these kind of, uh, these, these kind of uh, statements because it's, it's very, very difficult to prove. Um, it was at the fall of the Berlin Wall, I think Christian Moraru, uh, that, that's his thesis. And there, are, um, there was 9-11. There, there are all kinds of different attempts to find causal relationships between political events, economic events in the real world and what happens in, uh, in, 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 in the world of culture. And uh, I find this to be a very difficult endeavor. Um, to give one example, uh, the whole problem of globalization is something that was already happening in postmodernism. Um, it's uh, from my point of view that uh, uh, Frederick Jameson, uh, who most of you, most of your viewers are familiar with, uh, gave an excellent uh, Marxist, neo-Marxist analysis of this uh, situation, and um, and he linked it explicitly with postmodernism. Postmodernism was, in certain sense, the expression, uh, the embodiment of this uh, uh, globalization of, of capitalism. Um, and the problem is, is that globalization has become even more intense than it was when Jameson was writing in the 80s and 90s. It's become absolutely universal. There's almost nothing left that is, has not been touched by social media, by uh, global capitalism. Um, I was just reading about a, a girl in the Amazon forest who had 6 million TikTok followers because uh, mm -hmm. she, she created an enormous bug mm -hmm. uh, like that. Um, there's no part of the world that has not been touched by that. But uh, the, the, the thing is that instead of seeing an intensification of postmodernism, we, we've seen an opposite reaction. So a sort of a one-to-one -one link between things like uh, global capitalism, globalization, uh, the mediatization of, of, of the world, it is, it's, it's just not a one-to-one -one relationship. Yeah. The way I see it is that this is basically, for the most part, this switch was caused by postmodernism simply uh, drying out, simply becoming uh, dull, becoming mm -hmm. uh, boring to 
uh, both creative people and also to, to, to audiences. Um, I, I distinctly remember going into a Coen Brothers film sometime around 2005, 2006, I think it was Burn, uh, Burn After Reading. And it was just, it, it was, I, I knew what everything was going to happen. Mm -hmm. it, it was, there were no surprises. Um, the CIA is incompetent. Uh, the, everything is, uh, is, is a paranoid conspiracy. Um, everything is, is farcical. Uh, and it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't fun anymore. These were things I enjoyed when I was reading Kurt Vonnegut, maybe back in the 1970s or 80s. But it, it just was, uh, it, it worked. It, it seemed to me to be very tired. And I think this is what happens in aesthetic terms. Yeah. These are the only uh, things that I can actually talk about with any authority, uh, the, 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 the economic political developments are, 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 have some influence, but certainly not the direct. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting too that you mentioned that book or that, I'm sorry, that film, because I remember distinctly the end of that movie is there is no, there's sort of this befuddled moment of what did all this mean? It didn't really mean anything. It was all pointless yeah. and worthless. And it's sort of like, there's something uh, kind of quintessentially, uh, you know, an expression of that exhaustion there. And you could almost argue that what you're saying is that these new modes are sort of uh, expressive of an exhaustion with the exhaustion. <laughs> There's yeah, like, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the sense of an end has ended. Um, I, there's so many threads here. I want to, I want to kind of explore a couple of them. One is that you mentioned this dialectic um, situating of your, of your ideas in the, in terms of old history and whatnot. Mm. And so it sounds like maybe you're reticent to put your thumb on distinct causes of, of these broad shifts, but you're not reticent as much to, to theorize about them in broader, broader terms. So um, how, how do you frame these shifts within that kind of old history and that kind of dialectic framework that you're talking about? Well, the, the original starting point is, is very technical. It was, it's semiotic. And this is uh, probably a good way to turn off a lot of uh, viewers by talking about uh, signs and uh, semiotics. Uh, um, so I won't go into it uh, too much, but uh, basically the, the, the starting point was that uh, signs in uh, postmodernism uh, basically uh, point to other signs. They are the, the, the famous uh, simulacra. And uh, these signs, the, you have no direct way of approaching, of experiencing reality except through signs. And because signs are uh, naturally duplicitous because they can be, uh, they can be replicated, they can be falsified, uh, you, you, you have no chance of actually uh, having any sort of authentic any, uh, approach to reality or, or, or any authentic uh, uh, apprehension of, uh, of reality. And uh, when I started out, the, the, the thing that I was looking for was a kind of sign that would, would do that. And what I found was a, a, a concept by a man named Eric Gantz, who, um, who uh, developed the idea of an ostensive sign, of a sign that is uh, present, that points to something, and that two people intuitively agree, agree on. And this kind of sign is below the threshold of, of discourse because discourse in postmodernism is what confuses us, is what 
makes us uh, what 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 splits us apart, what uh, what uh, decentrifies us, and so this was a kind of sign that it did the opposite. It uh, created the possibility for uh, two people to come together if they could spontaneously agree on what a certain present sign meant, and that was the starting. Well, this is one of the dialectical moments you could say in in, in my thinking is that there was this, uh, this, this is a change. This is not some sort of, it's either or, it's a, uh, it's a thesis antithesis, if you will. Um, and it's not something that is, uh, it, it's not something that is simply a variant of postmodernism. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a dialectical opposite. Well, and so this is, yeah, I really want to kind of dive into this because it seems like a big, um, a very important component to your framing of this is uh, really it has a, it deals with how people think uh, of the world and reality, which is to say kind of what people's metaphysics is, um, or at least the, the dominant paradigm, uh, metaphysical paradigm. And um, so I'm intrigued at a, at a, at a number of different levels because one of the ways that you, one of these devices, these performativist devices that you talk about, which I, I want to explore is um, artistically mediated belief. And, uh, and in that you talk about um, sort of doing metaphysics by means of post-metaphysical, uh, you know, tools yeah. or something like that. So um, say a little bit about what you mean by post-metaphysical, because this term also comes up in, in other areas that, that are interested in these post-postmodern spaces. Um, and uh, well, let's just start there. So when you okay. say, say post-metaphysical, describe that and what that, what that means. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, uh, let's start with, with what is metaphysical. That uh, metaphysical is somebody who says uh, straightforwardly, I believe in, in God, I believe in angels, I believe in, uh, I, I simply believe in something and uh, there is no particular way that that's uh, mediated. And uh, this sort of thinking obviously has, is, is the religious believers obviously um, still, still do this, uh, but in our secular society, it's, uh, it's, 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 not, uh, it's not, certainly not a, a dominant uh, or even probably very prevalent sort of attitude. Um, what, uh, postmodernism, in particular post-structuralism does, is to show how these sort of metaphysical uh, beliefs uh, reappear in hidden ways. I think this is the, the whole thrust of post-structuralism is to show that even when we try to be rational, when we try to be logical, uh, that we still have these metaphysical, these, these metaphysical assumptions somehow, that everything is tied together, that, uh, um, that we can explain things, that we can achieve uh, preset goals, this sort of thing. And uh, so the whole uh, logic of postmodernism, post-structuralism, I think, is to, is to debunk this kind of metaphysical, hidden metaphysical uh, thinking or covert metaphysical uh, thinking. And uh, this is where irony comes in, this, the, the famous uh, uh, ironic attitude of, of postmodernism, uh, that uh, it's, it's about debunking this kind of, uh, of 
misguided uh, uh, rationalist uh, thinking. Um, what uh, performatism does, or what the, the post-postmodern post-postmodern aesthetics does, post-postmodern works of art, literature, is it also to, is not to return to simple professions of belief. I think this is one, one very important thing because no one who has gone through postmodernism, no person of culture who has gone through postmodernism is simply going to revert to an attitude where it says, well, I believe in this figure in this movie because mm -hmm. he or she has some sort of uh, sacral, authentic uh, character that I identify with directly. Nobody, almost nobody uh, would uh, do that. Uh, so what happens in performative works is that uh, we are essentially forced to identify with these kind of characters. So there's this sense that that we can't do the, the metaphysical thing, but in, in, in terms of like logically you know, assent to its propositions, but we can engage with an aesthetic work of art and we can kind of feel uh, the, the, the metaphysical kind of transcendence yeah. that, that was spoken of. Um, and, and then we're sort of left with a, a decision of, you know, what, what to do with that. Um, yeah. And so I'm curious then, does this open up a kind of uh, chasm or a deep rift, a cognitive dissonance between kind of the mind and the feeling, you know, the, the, the head and the heart? And, and how does that uh, factor into this? Um, possibly, yes. <laughs> I, I, don't, uh, I, I don't experience that uh, myself, uh, at least as a, as a, a viewer or recipient of these uh, works of art. Um, what I think happens, though, is that the, uh, this attitude of being able to believe overpowers rationality, mm. essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, in, once more, in an aesthetic setting. In, in real life, you can go back to being a skeptic, you can go back to being ironic, you can go back to being whatever you are. But uh, within the, you know, when, when, you, uh, when you engage with, uh, with this particular work, uh, you will be moved by it in, in, in some way. And because you have been forced to believe, I, I believe <laughs> that, that, uh, that, that that has the power to, to change people perhaps uh, uh, imperceptibly. And certainly it does have uh, the power to change uh, the, uh, the, the aesthetic uh, values of people to uh, mm -hmm. make them more, more open to uh, works of art that, uh, that, that promote belief in some yeah. way. Now, I'm curious, and this is a big area for me right now, because let's say you've got someone who's fully, they, they've done this thoroughly, they've experienced this sensibility very much in our culture and different cultural production and artworks and whatnot, and it's fully kind of become embodied and imbibed such that that belief sort of has taken hold what then does how how does this navigation between sort of there's sort of this uncritical naivete that begins and then there's sort of the debunking that postmodernism does as you refer to and the, the yeah. kind of disillusionment and that move and then there's this performative thing that's sort of like well we're going to we're going to do the believing thing but just in the frame and if you're really caught up in it, you'll feel that and it'll change your, your mode of perception and your mode of engagement with reality. 
Now, let's say someone does come out of that and they do want to project that believing attitude back onto the world. Is there something qualitatively different about that form of belief than that uncritical naivete belief that, that it's passed through? Uh, you know, as you as you've said at, at earlier that, you know, once you've kind of done the de deconstructive postmodern thing, you can't just go back to, you know, asserting some kind of naive belief in a thing. Um, and yet, once you've gone through the performatist thing, you're sort of back at a belief structure in some way. So no. talk a little bit about how those differences might, might exist um, as people come out of that and project that back onto the world and, 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 and really embody well, a kind of performatist sensibility. Well, in terms of, uh, of ideology, I would say that in the, let us say, the, the, the bad old days of modernism, when people believed in utopian ideals, uh, the result was totalitarian. I think this is a, a common, common knowledge that uh, this, uh, uh, the idea that these ideals could be realized somehow in, in the real world led to absolute uh, disaster. In other words, the, uh, the, the totalization of uh, these uh, beliefs well, it was an absolute disaster. And nobody does that, would do that. Our performances wouldn't do that anymore uh, because the beliefs that they experience or have are particular in, in a very special sense. In other words, they're, uh, they're, they're confined to certain set circumstances, certain set situations. And at least uh, theoretically, they are... Uh, they, 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 they cannot be or, or should not be uh, totalized in the way that, that, that modernist uh, belief was. Uh, so that would be, 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 be one difference, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, there is, there is something that, per, that persists of that postmodern awareness, even after the, the performatist uh, naivete uh, or, 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 you know, I'm I'm intrigued by um, you know Kierkegaard wrote a lot about irony, which of course again as you noted is is very um, very bound up with postmodern forms of cultural production, um, and he was interested in in these forms of 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 reflection and immediacy and irony being highly self-reflexive um, and immediacy being kind of the the opposite of that, and he spoke a lot about this notion of what's sort of sought after reflection, which you know, there's immediacy, which is sort of that uncritical naivete. Mm -hmm. Then there's reflection, which is this sort of brings in this element of, of, of disillusionment often, or at least that kind mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, awareness um, that, that renders that immediacy impossible. Um, but then, then he speaks of a second naivete or a second immediacy, which of course would be kind of dialectically transfigured by its whole, you know, uh, going through this process. Um, and yet it does regain something of that original naivete, that immediacy, albeit, you know, in a new form. Is something like that um, a fair expression of where someone living in a performatist kind of world might land? Um, it's, it could be. Um, um, in, in absolute ideal terms, <laughs> let's, let's say that uh, um, a, a performatist uh, person would try to resist engaging in discourse as much as possible because discourse has the same 
the discourse is, is, is a postmodern, is, is the, the place where postmodernism happens. Uh, discourse is, is endless, it's endless, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bad imminence, so, so to speak. But you mean it, discourse it in a forever. specific it's sort specific of way? Like not discourse yeah. in the sense of conversation, you mean a particular kind of postmodern discourse, yeah. which is, yeah, just yeah. to... Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, what uh, I think what um, the, the, the ideal performatist uh, viewer uh, would be, uh, be let us say, be inspired. That's uh, also a key word that uh, Peter Sloterdijk uses, to, was would be inspired uh, by this uh, particular engagement with, uh, uh, with the work that inspires belief and would project that onto others through, by, by, by way of imitation. In other words, uh, this person could encourage others to imitate him or her. Um, this would be, in a certain sense, the, the ideal attitude would be through by taking, a, uh, let us say, a, a certain ethical posture in a certain situation uh, that you could encourage other people to imitate you. And this is also, this is one of the things that I also touch on in, in ethical terms that uh, I, I draw a lot on Alain Badiou and his uh, notion of, uh, of ethics, uh, that uh, of adhering to a, a, a truth process. Uh, and this is one way of, I think, one way of transmitting uh, ethics in, in a performatist way without engaging in a lot of uh, a lot of uh, blah, 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 a lot of discourse is you place yourself in a situation where you can act as a, uh, a, a an example for others. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious what you would think of, um, I mean, obviously you're, you're analyzing art, you know, uh, photography, uh, literature, et cetera, that sort of cultural production. Um, but I'm curious what you might kind of think are the implications of this for, um, you know, religion and contemporary spirituality in terms of uh, these ideas about artistically mediated belief, performatist belief. Um, how do you think that maps onto actual uh, sort of spiritual commitments um, or lifestyles, practices, a sort of post-metaphysical commitments? You uh, are probably better off asking Linda Seriello and uh, Greg, I think you already asked Greg Denberg. Mm. Um, but um, I think they've done a very, uh, very nice work on that, showing how um, actual, you know, spiritual values or attitudes are conveyed uh, through through popular culture. Um, that's not really my. Uh, I, I'm not uh, so much involved in, uh, in in that kind of sort of semi sociological uh, research. Um, it, into popular culture, but that's that, that it would go in that direction. Basically, I, uh, I, I follow their work fairly closely, and uh, I found that very, uh, very helpful in thinking about exactly this, the, the question you asked, how does mm -hmm. that, how does that exert itself in, in popular culture, for example, and, mm -hmm. and I think they, they really can show that, you know, in, in TV shows, in, in, in popular series, that these things uh, also appear, and that it also appears in, um, in, in basically in, in, in popular forms of, of, of spirituality, mm -hmm. yeah. which are very variegated, which are very 
heterogeneous. Sure. I was interested, actually, that you, you were on a panel that I think uh, that Tom and Mark organized around metamodernism and post-postmodernism. Mm-hmm. And uh, you said something which struck me, which is, um, and maybe if I, if I heard you right, I thought you were saying that the performatist uh, devices that you were noting in your book, for example, performatism in 2008, are not as, you don't see them as much, that it's not as, um, as, as maybe dominant as, as it used to be. Was I understanding you correctly? Or, or how, would you, how would you say, where does performatist art kind of stand today in 2021? Is it, um, is it very much the cult- cultural dominant or has it receded in some way? Um, what I've seen up to now, obviously, it's 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 difficult to have a complete overview of of, of what's going on. I um, I follow things in American culture, in Russian culture, as best as I can, um, but uh, there's just limits to what I can process. Let's put it that way. So that uh, what I see is to a certain extent, haphazard. Uh, it's, uh, I, I can't really, I haven't really done this systematically. What I have been seeing is that the initial optimism that you found in the late 90s with, the, let's say, the dogma movies, which were very uh, uh, so constructed that you really, you really believed, you really had hope, you really uh, they, they sometimes also uh, created really uh, directly transcendent uh, situations that you were supposed to believe in. Um, this sort of thing has, it has, has, has become uh, less prominent, let's put it this way. I think it still uh, happens, uh, but uh, the feeling I have, uh, particularly in regard to uh, Russia, uh, Russian movies, Russian literature, is that there is a a mode of pessimism that is is returning even within the framework of this kind of performatist work. And the problem with Russia is obviously that the uh, the, the, the political, the social, the cultural situation there is extremely uh, right. uh, is not good. I mean, it's not something that uh, um, you can be optimistic about. Um, it's a little bit different in the West, but uh, this same uh, sense is, I think, is is, is creeping in. I have been looking for some sort of switch, some sort of dialectical switch, but at the moment I haven't found it. I haven't found a mm. work that that really breaks with with performatism. Um, I can say this with some uh, authority about how this feeling works, because in the 1990s, when I started, uh, when I got the idea of performatism. Uh, I found uh, I found works, I found films, uh, um, uh, novels that I didn't understand, basically that I couldn't explain with my post-structuralist, post-modern uh, values, norms, concepts. And I'm waiting for this to happen again. I'm looking for something that I really can't explain. And then you have to start all over again. But up to now, that hasn't really it hasn't happened to me personally. This is the only mm. thing. Um, uh, yeah. But obviously, this, this this initial mode of optimism is has uh, has abated. Um, you mentioned uh, also some 
differences in in how you see things from from maybe the metamodern paradigm. Talk a little bit about that, the relationship of performatism and metamodernism as as you see it. Metamodernism is uh, we we agree on on a lot of things. First of all, we agree on the importance of transcendence. This is something that I think is absolutely crucial to diagnosing the our situation. And they do a very good job of, of, of working that out. Um, we also agree on, um, I, I think we also agree in terms of uh, the sensibility is the same. In other words, when I read their analyses uh, in the, the, the website or uh, also, of course, in, in the book, I'm almost in, in complete agreement with, 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 with what they find to be metamodern or what, what, what I would find to be a performatist. Uh, there's, uh, in terms of this uh, sensibility, there is a, a great deal of agreement. Uh, the disagreements are about, um, are about history and how it works. And my approach is the exact opposite of theirs. I, I think this is the, 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 the clearest way to say it. Uh, basically, what the metamodernists do in their historical approach is to take uh, a notion of a definition of romanticism as the oscillation between um, uh, between enthusiasm and irony. It's uh, I think uh, uh, Schlegel said this uh, sometime in the early 19th century, and they project it onto cultural history so that uh, that you have uh, modernism. As uh, is enthusiastic, and of course has other qualities uh, relating to enthusiasm, and uh, and and postmodernism is ironic. And the problem with this approach is is that it uh, completely excludes anything that is is not romantic. In other words, there's no room in their uh, conception for anything that is anti-romantic, non-romantic. And one thing that is very unromantic is to impose a formal, uh, through, through a formal rigor, to impose restrictions upon viewers, people, characters. This is absolutely unromantic. Uh, so that uh, my approach uh, is, um, uh, once more, is a dialectical in the sense that if postmodernism is ironic, if um, it's not being, it, it, it's, it's not opposed to, enthusiasm, which is also another romantic trope, it's being opposed to a kind of, I would say, neoclassical uh, rigor, uh, the, the whole idea of framing, the whole idea of imposing force upon viewers, people, characters, is something that you would find in, in the classicist tradition that is simply, um, that doesn't that the, the, the modernists don't even recognize uh, exists. And this, this is a very, very basic uh, difference in the approach to the history. Um, when they say that, uh, I think um, Tim from Oiland says, uh, likes to say that there is a, what is it? It's a, a, a metamodernism is part of an emergent neo-romantic neo uh, sensibility. Um, the problem is, is that modernism is also neo-romantic and postmodern is also neo-romantic. And so you have a, an unbroken scheme of mm. neo-romantic <laughs> epistemes or epochs that uh, simply oscillate uh, back and forth mm. uh, without encountering any 
resistance from 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 from, from, from any other mm-hmm. um, from from any other side, and I think this is the, the the difference between old history, which of which I am a happy representative, and uh, and post history, which basically doesn't recognize any sort of uh, any sort of dialectical friction between. Uh, between uh, between epochs or epistemes. Is, is that because post history is seems to be identifying some kind of metaphysical commitment in that kind of old history approach that there needs to be that there's a presumption of some well, you know what's what is the dialectical thing moving through history and then it, they they get scared by yeah, no. by that essentially so there's it's it because this is another factor that I'm really interested in is how the theorizing of post postmodernism is also um, exemplary of, or it can be exemplary of different um, paradigms itself, right? You could be doing post-postmodern theorizing from a postmodern perspective. Um, you could also be doing it from a post-postmodern perspective, mm-hmm. hypothetically, right? And that those might yield different sorts of, of visions for how to theorize what post-postmodernism is. Um, and so I think you've kind of hit on an interesting one, which is like uh, there's a post history and an old history way of doing things, which in some ways is centers on metaphysical concerns. And you could almost argue, maybe you would, or maybe you wouldn't want to go this area where you're almost doing a performatist <laughs> conceptualization of post postmodernism because you're, you're taking in some some metaphysical ideas, but maybe through post-metaphysical means. Is that a silly thing, or do you think there's some some kernel of truth in there? No, I, I think that's, that's that's fairly accurate. Um, I think though that the, um, the the whole problem of the the the, the fear that the, the dialectic is uh, is is, is metaphysical. I think the problem is is if you tie the dialect the dialectic to a to a goal, to a metaphysical goal, then you have problems. Then you, we're, then we're in the 19th century with, well, so uh, this with Hegel or with Marx. Now, this is where I'm interested too, because I, I'm I want to ask you about um, the developmental metamodernists. I don't know how you want to call them. You could call them the Nordic metamodernists, or you know, doing political metamodernism, which is to say, a, a tradition uh, engaging with metamodernism uh, as a concept picks it up from from Mulin and Vandenacker. And sort of takes it in other directions. Are you familiar, for example, with the work of Hansi Freinacht? Now, I actually know very little about the the, the, the Nordic uh, variant. Okay. I, I'd be um, I'd be interested. My... Yeah, just to hear what you would say about their historical analysis or the way that they view metamodernism through a historical lens or or interpret it through that way, because it also incorporates dialectic. Um, arguably in a post-metaphysical way. And uh, anyway, it would, that would be an interesting thing to bring into the mix. But I, 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 it makes sense too. Right now, there's so much sort of, um, there still remains kind of a, a cleavage in the different uh, lineages that are talking about uh, post-postmodernism that, that, you know, uh, there's sort of a cultural studies angle. And then there's often sort of a, you know, uh, this other kind of political metamodernist or developmental, and there's not always a whole lot of bridge. In fact, one of the things I want to do in some ways with this podcast is kind of start bringing more of these voices into conversation. I mean, you yourself, though, were on that panel with Daniel Gortz, for example, um, the panel I mentioned earlier that Tom and Mark had, had organized. So there's, there is a lot of these discussions that are 
starting to come together. And um, I think it, it could be interesting to see. I want to, I want to go back to the idea of transcendence, because as you say, it's so key um, to this sensibility and this moment um, and the, the search for that kind of transcendence. I know you've sort of theorized it a little bit, but say a little bit more about what that word means um, in, in all of its sort of uh, semantic range, at least, or maybe you're using it in a very narrow sense. But when you talk about transcendence and performatism, what does that mean? Um, it means a lot of things. Um, it can appear, uh, first of all, it can appear thematically. That, uh, that uh, in other words, that somebody has uh, uh, a, in, in a, in a fictional work of art of some kind, you can always depict the things that are unreal, that uh, basically that transcend the, the 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 particulars of our life world and this happens to this is not it's not necessarily the rule but it is something you, you you'll find in performative works at the other end of the spectrum let's say at the very most minimal uh, level or threshold of transcendence uh, you'll find uh, the event i think this is the um, in narrative terms that something happens, something changes uh, in, uh, in, a, uh, in a dialectical way, in the, the crossing of a binary boundary, uh, whatever. And that this change is, 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 is marked is, and, and is uh, in a certain sense uh, then guaranteed by the structure of the particular work you're watching or, or, or reading. And in between there are, and, and this event can, can be grounded in the real world, in the, you know, the, the world completely in the, the, the real world we live in. I like how um, you pointed to a simulacrum when you, when you said yes, the real world. <laughs> to a simulated thing behind us. But basically this is, uh, um, it uh, can be grounded in, um, in, in what we consider to be a reality. Um, but what is important is this idea of a unified sort of a modest experience that something has to change. It can be fairly subtle in that regard. And this is also why you have one, I think one area of post postmodern uh, theoriz uh, theorization um, it likes to talk about a return to authenticity, authenticity or, or to realism. This is very strong in, in Germany. Um, uh, possibly less so in, in America. Um, and in between, there's a whole multitude of, of, of uh, possibilities that, um, uh, that can be used to, uh, to, 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 to mediate or to transmit transcendence. For example, um, uh, one is the use of geniuses, that you, you find uh, lots and lots of geniuses in uh, performatist uh, movies, novels, whatever. Um, uh, one of, I, I think one recent example that I, I just happened to see was uh, The Hurt Locker, which I don't know if you've seen that. It's mm -hmm. about the Iraq War. Mm -hmm. And you have a uh, sort of a hillbilly type who is a genius at taking apart bombs. You don't know why he, uh, how he got this uh, particular skill, uh, but he's better at it than anybody else. He's indifferent to everyone else around him. He's a genius. In other words, he's somebody who is uh, untouched by uh, by discourse, by normative rules uh, around him. Uh, so this is one, uh, and, and he prevails in the end. 
uh, obviously. He, he doesn't get blown up and he goes on his, to keep on defusing an endless series of, of, of bombs. Um, this, this is one, one way that it, transcendence can be uh, embodied. It's, uh, and, and there are numerous others. I mean, I can also go into other now, details, but yeah. this is simply one. But now, so, but this transcendence, it does seem to always be, or no, I shouldn't say that. Uh, is this transcendence always in this world, so to speak? Um, or like, would something like magical realism fall into this camp at all, where within the confines of the work, magical things happen? Or is there an element of whatever the transcending thing is, is sort of, um, it is part of the imminent world, but maybe it uses you know, incredible genius as a way of transcending the world, or maybe it uses incredible technology, or there's an element of the mysterious and the magical brought in, but kind of with the understanding that, well, this is still all following the, the normal rules of the, the laws of nature. Yeah, to a certain extent, yes. What, what um, another device that, that, that I've found fairly frequently is simply that movies will block access to to information. In other words, that you, um, uh, you'll see a movie with a particular uh, plot, with a particular ending, and the movie will deliberately uh, block access to, uh, to, to the key to, 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 uh, to, to, to what is going on. So that, and this blockage of access is, is a marker of transcendence. Let's put it that way. If, if you can't understand something, if there's no way you can understand something, it's a good sign that it's uh, it's transcendent. And so, films, novels will also mark uh, mark transcendence in this way, which can be done in in you know the normal real uh, world. Uh, but it's there's simply a sign that there's something beyond that that uh, that we're not allowed access to. So would would uh, well so one one question that arises too is is you might hear someone say well well how new is a lot of this stuff I mean thing transcendent things have been in 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 the arts for forever um, the idea of mm -hmm. uh, aesthetically mediated belief in some ways could be seen even in kind of Aristotle's notion of of, of theater and and uh, uh, you know like even you know just um, what do they call it? Uh, um, the suspension of disbelief, the suspension of yeah, disbelief, suspension. you know, being when you're in a theater or something, you're, you're, there's that, that's bracketed off and you're just going to fall into the, the work of art and just get caught up with it. Um, so, I mean, yeah, what would you say to someone who's like, well, what you're describing describes so many works of art going all the way back. Why is this distinctly uh, kind of post postmodern? Yeah, well, this is actually very common uh, criticism that somebody would say, well, yeah, in the 19th century, this, uh, uh, there was identification with uh, uh, figures of belief and that, uh, of course, this is suspension of disbelief is something that you find uh, everywhere in, in, all kinds of, uh, in all kinds of works of art. Uh, the, the difference is, is the, um, I would say, the, 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 the crudeness of the frame that... Uh, when let's say when we're reading Dostoevsky's *The Idiot*, we have a Christ figure, we a very complex Christ figure. We uh, 
uh, can identify him with him. We can be repelled by him. Uh, we have a kind of a psychological interaction uh, with him. Um, but we don't have a, a, a crude narrative frame that uh, forces us to, uh, to, to identify with him in some way in the end. And tend to be open, um, in particular in Dostoevsky. Uh, this, would, this would be a typical example. In a performatist work, you are really, uh, the, the, the narrative is very, in a very, very, usually very obvious way, forces you to, to, to make this identification. And this is something that doesn't happen in uh, 19th century novels. It's something that 19th century novels avoid. Uh, it's also something that obviously doesn't happen in uh, modernist novels, which are uh, attempting to, um, attempting to, um, and, uh, well, the German word is verfremdung. Uh, uh, it's to, to alienate, to um, uh, to foreground things in such a way that you see the world, experience the world in a completely different way. Um, and this is uh, the, the, these devices are, are are quite different than this once more very rather crude narrative framing that that takes place in in performatism. Do you think that, and I'm risking here the the psychological move that that maybe you want to avoid, but do you think that this shift to uh, um, the emphasis on transcendence and that 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 search for transcendence in art is a is a a reaction to a world that many in people increasingly feel to be so de devoid of transcendence that there is a, a kind of interest, a thirst, a hunger for finding that in art, if nowhere else? Yes, I think that's, uh, that's generally speaking uh, true, that um, you can experience these things, or probably the, almost the only place you can experience these things now is, is in art. And in that way, art, art does provide a, a kind of a refuge for, uh, for people who want this experience uh, and uh, aren't able to get it in, uh, in, in, in greater society or in, in, in institutional religion, let's uh, put it that way. So then, again, another question, maybe, maybe one that you'll uh, pass on, but do you see performatism as a, as a means or a vehicle by which people could engage in a kind of re-enchantment project, uh, a project to, to, to bring back into the world a sense of transcendence um, by means of, of not just performatist art, but also the, the resultant sensibility that a, an experience of an art or a cultural world that's dominated by performatist works um, would, would generate. Uh, potentially, yes, obviously, um, but in, 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 in practical terms, it's, it's much more difficult to, to, to convert aesthetic experience into real life experience. This, this is just, uh, I think, a general, general uh, observation. Um, uh, basically, that would be the, once more, the ideal would be that this aesthetic sensibility would be, would translate into um, maybe a, a search for more community, a search for uh, an attempt to inspire others, an attempt to act as examples for others. These are all uh, ethical uh, possibilities that, uh, that, that arise. Now, to, to what extent they're actually realized is, is, is something else. 
um, which I don't, I'm not really a, a, a sociologist and I don't have an insight into, empirical insight into how much that occurs or where that occurs. Uh, but it, it would appear that there are spiritual movements in America that, uh, at least in America, certainly also, yeah, actually also in, in, in Germany, uh, where that, something like that takes place. Um, yeah, I know. I keep kind of forcing you to, to, to put on a sociologist hat or an anthropologist hat or what have you. But I'm just, I mean, I feel like, one, your work is laid out very brilliantly in your book and, and in other materials that you've got online. So I, I, I want to take this opportunity to sort of get in and see, like, well, where, where, now that you've sort of built that engine for people to be able to, you know, understand these sorts of things, like, you know, let's, I'm curious to see where it can go, where it might be able to be extrapolated and things like that. And obviously I have a deep interest in, in these specific things myself, because I, I see this very much as being, um, well, I guess that's in many ways what I'm trying to do with my own work and, uh, and where I see a lot of um, this, this stuff being taken up and used in the service of. Um, but so along the lines of, you know, forcing you to extrapolate, I'm, I'm curious, um, do you, do you anticipate, I mean, because history does march on, that there will be some kind of a reaction to or a, some kind of a response, a kind of post-performatist response? And what might that be, um, I guess would be my question. Uh, that's, a, that's a question that's impossible to answer because it's, um, um, or it's very difficult to answer. Let's 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 uh, put it that way because it involves thinking. It involves transcending your the present situation, literally. Mm -hmm. In other words, to be to 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 think in an entirely different way, and uh, you can call that the episteme. You can call it the an epoch. You can call it whatever. Um, and it's 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 very very difficult. I, I, I remember myself once more when I was starting out trying to think about what performatism uh, was, how incredibly difficult it was in the beginning. That um, there were just things that didn't make sense, that didn't fall into place. And that uh, in a certain sense, I had to throw away all my uh, beliefs that I uh, had up to then and, and, and readjust. And that's something that will happen again, so uh, almost, almost certainly. Is, but I, it's, yeah. you can't predict it. Uh, uh, is performatism an episteme or is it uh, a series of, of um, aesthetic devices? Um, is it a, is it a theory? Um, what, you know, I, like, is it, um, is it post postmodernism? How do you, how do you kind of think about what performatism is in the context of all these, you know, is it a, do we, do we, do we talk about a, a post postmodernism as being metamodernism and performatism is sort of a distinct genre, uh, like kind of uh, paradigm that operates within that, or is it better to reverse that understanding? What is performatism in that sense? Well, performatism, as I see it, is uh, it describes an epoch, uh, which means in the, in the same way that romanticism describes an epoch uh, that you know it goes on maybe for 30, 40 years, but depending on how things go, uh, that is, of course, never monolithic in, in, in any way. That, uh, uh, but it, I would say that this uh, set towards transcendence, the use of certain devices form a cultural 
dominant, the things that I've been talking about in this, in, in this little chat. Um, beyond that, um, these things apply to culture in the, in, in the, 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 the narrow sense of the word, in other words, to the, the, the arts, literature, uh, architecture, perhaps philosophy, the, the humanities, uh, this sort of thing. Um, beyond that, it's, 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 it's difficult for me, uh, simply based on my training, to make any assumptions about or make any, uh, make any projections about politics, about, uh, about society. Um, the, the question is, is in Romanticism or in any epoch, in any cultural, clearly marked cultural epoch, let's say Romanticism, just how much was the guy on the street affected by it? Um, and uh, it, it's, it's a difficult question to answer. Um, culture is usually produced from above. I think this is still uh, the case that uh, professional creative people create culture. Um, there is obviously also a give and take because uh, they have to have a public that accepts what they're doing. It's not, uh, they can't simply uh, mandate it. Um, but uh, my job, as I see it, is simply to describe what, 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 what culture in this fairly narrow sense is doing. And I am I'm simply careful about making <laughs> statements about anything that goes beyond mm -hmm. that. No, I've, I've noticed that. And that is uh, not with you spe specific. Well, yes, with you specifically, but also in the one of those distinctions between sort of uh, those looking at cultural studies from whether it's a metamodern angle or a, you know, performatist angle, kind of doing cultural studies work. I notice a great carefulness to be very like, this is the domain. Um, whereas, you know, this, the, these developments that are occurring with some of these terms in other communities are they're like you know this is a grand narrative and this is this is a, this, this is a yeah. whole political program and uh, I do find that to be a very um, significant distinction between the two camps and might be uh, an element or a, a reason why there might be some barriers to some conversational points there. Um, well, and, I find I, I admit I find it interesting. I mean, it's it's uh, it's fun to do, mm -hmm. uh, but it's it, it's 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 difficult. I was also trained as a political scientist originally, mm. and uh, uh, my problem with something like uh, meta modernist explanations of, of uh, let's say of politics is is that they tend to uh, not to have much explanatory power that. Uh, for example, I think in the in the meta modernism book there was there was a really good analysis of uh, of Jeremy Corbyn of how his you know as an old uh, old labor guy that he was able to create a certain sense of authenticity for young people and that he was for a while he was fairly popular. Um, uh, the problem was that he was in political terms that he was then uh, he, he, he he turned out to be a rather indecisive. A fence straddler when Brexit showed up, another political problem, and he was replaced by somebody who was basically his exact opposite. Somebody who was very slick, somebody who was a, a Keir Starmer, who is a, a you know an eloquent a lawyer and an establishment figure from from the get go. So that um, if Jeremy Corbyn is meta modern, what is Keir Star or who is Keir Starmer? Let's mm. put it that way. Mm. In other mm. words, um, 
uh, from a political science point of view, you you have to have uh, you can't explain uh, you, you can't explain everything using in, in politics using cultural. Well, cultural. certainly, yeah, and I mean, and also even just the mechanics of like a democratic system make that difficult. It's not it's not as simple as now we're in a new epoch, so that every new political leader is going to be you know defined by this epoch. But at the mm. same time, as you also noted, these vestigial uh, vestigial elements uh, that are, that are still there even if we're in a performatist epoch or a metamodern world or what have you, there's still, there's still postmodernists around a lot of them. There's still modernists, et cetera. So, you know, um, uh, for me, I don't necessarily see that as being a, like a, a decisive element. It does certainly makes it a lot harder. Um, and it's sort of a, a lot more at the whims of sort of, well, we tried this person and maybe they are aptly described by a certain uh, epochal label. And then it's sort of like, well, they didn't work. So we'll just go with this person. And maybe that person is better described by a different uh, ep epochal label or something. Um, but yeah, point, I guess, taken in the sense that it's a lot harder to do anyway. And at least um, descriptively, I think can be more challenging than prescriptive, which is another distinction I make between, or I see between kind of the cultural studies, uh, angle and, and these other angles is that, um, is that some folks are, are looking at basically what, what's the data, what's the evidence and how do we describe it? And other people are sort of saying, well, thanks people who have described the world. That's a helpful framework. Now let's use that framework to prescribe, what we do next, as it were. So, um, and yet that that hasn't yet been dialectically taken back into the the describing uh, uh, work yet. So, um, which I, I think will be interesting if that if and when that happens, if that if that makes sense. Um, I guess I I just to wind this down. Then I'd be curious what what the future of your work portends. Um, you you said that you still see this very much as being. Um, you know, essentially the dominant paradigm. Are you are you still working in this idiom, and are you are you going to be in continuing to write more articles or maybe books on the topic, or what does the future of your research into this uh, look like? Um, that's also a, a bit difficult to say. I um, after the, the the book on performatism, I, I always wanted to write a, a second book, and um, at some point I started the the website, and at some point I looked at how much I had written on the website and it turned out to be essentially a kind of a book in uh, website form. So that mm -hmm. um, I'm really not, at, at the moment, I'm not really sure what, I, what I'm going to do. I, I am retiring uh, in, in March, I'll have more time and uh, a lot will depend on um, just how, how much I want to sit down and, and write a formal book. And if I have the time and if I have the, the energy, that's what I'll do. And otherwise, I'll just keep on expanding the website. I think those are the two, two options. The website has proved to be a lot of fun because it frees me from writing in a stodgy uh, ac academic style, which is uh, unfortunately um, um, prescribed. Mm -hmm. And... Um, uh, I can have more. I have more fun on the website, but I miss I, I miss, uh, I, I miss the, the, the the scholarly rigor. On the other hand, so uh, at the moment, I'm 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 a bit undecided. Is there any way that you would feel com? Well, how would I say this? 
while while retra- while retaining the sort of academic uh, carefulness that you that that you th- you know have, have expressed, what do you kind of wish or hope or aspire to be the legacy of performatism as a as a paradigm? Um, however, you want to answer that. Yes. Um, well, what I would like to see is that. Uh, there um, and actually, what you're doing is is very good because you're contributing to this. Is that a a discourse uh, grows up around uh, post postmodernism, and this is something that has not really happened up to now. It certainly hasn't happened in academia. Um, there is very little uh, interest in mainstream academia in post postmodernism, and. Uh, this is, if there is any sort of uh, legacy, then I, my, my hope would be <laughs> that, that what I did was somehow contributed to, uh, to, to, to having people think more about history, about more about what is going on in culture, uh, more about how human beings relate to reality, how, how, what belief is. I think this is also... Uh, this this is one of the important things uh, for me is that uh, uh, if what I do encourages reflection on uh, belief uh, that would uh, <laughs> and, and how it works in human terms that would that would make me happy. Is that a is that um, work you could see yourself uh, making a foray into, or is that sort of poets to come sort of territory? Yeah, I think that's something that I, I think. Um, um, I, I think I've I've done almost all that I humanly can to <laughs> uh, to, uh, to to establish what post postmodern is, at least in from my point of view. And I would just hope that once more that this discussion. I guess I meant around. I, I mean around belief in in particular around that topic. Around that topic, no, I don't really know what. Um, I personally don't know how to go about uh, <laughs> propagating that, but um, uh, simply the uh, focus on belief, I think, in uh, especially in academia, would be something that I would uh, that, that I would hope would become uh, more important. Yeah. No, I and I share that too, though. Also, with the the sense of it's the wondering when academia will come around to this. Uh, really important topic. Um, in some ways, I feel like uh, maybe there's a bit of hangover from the postmodern theor- theorizing days that um, people, for whatever reason, I, I think this is more true in America than it is um, in Europe, uh, because a lot of the actual post-postmodern debate or conversation does seem to be, if not originating from Europe, then at least being broadly carried on. And in America, um, and especially in conversations that I've had with folks very recently in the academy, um, yeah, there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of bite there for for just exploring post postmodernism. And um, it's an interesting thing to kind of think about why that might be and even to maybe psychologize it a little bit. Um, but maybe, yeah, I'll we could explore that in, in another in another time. <laughs> yeah. um, but it is an interesting point. And I guess the last thing I would just say about that is I, I'm of the mind that um, that won't be a, a, a permanent thing, um, that history will continue 
And we will find ourselves eventually in a point where people um, in the academy are going to have to say, well, what's been going on for the past 20, 30, 40 years? And what, you know, what's that about? Um, and what I'm excited about actually is to be part of sort of a, a non-academic um, uh, context in which these ideas are being played out and are being discussed um, that it will sort of be there when the academics kind of catch up to this um, when, when that, whenever that happens, that's sort of my, my take. And so when that, when that time comes, there will be, um, you know, and, and of course, someone like you are, are already in academia. And so is say Tim Vermeulen and, and, and that crowd, right? So there are these rich academic sources there, but then there's this whole other, you know, actually really burgeoning community of people um, kind of outside the ivory tower who uh, are sort of getting into all this and, and, and having at it. Um, and I think that, yeah, that, that there's, there's already, um, you know, there was a book put out recently called Meta Modernity, and it's sort of, it's uh, one of its kind of subtitles was the beginning of the end really of, or no, I'm sorry, the end of the beginning of this talk mm -hmm. about um, kind of what this is. And uh, it is just interesting that, you know, for those engaged in the conversation, we already recognize that so much has already happened. We're already sort of at the end of the beginning, and yet, um, you know, academia more broadly uh, has yet to really kind of catch on to that. So I, I hope that that does happen before too long. That's just my two cents. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate uh, very much what you're doing, uh, simply because this is something that is, uh, this, uh, a conversation like this wouldn't have been possible, or isn't impossible isn't possible in the academy at this point, uh, certainly not in Germany and, and also not in America. That's been my experience. And so it's all the more important that I think informed people on the, you know, on the fringes of, 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 of academia or outside it, uh, take up this uh, topic. And, uh, and I think, uh, and, and you in particular have, have done a, a really good job and it was a, it was a big pleasure to, to have been here. I haven't uh, uh, had such a nice conversation about <laughs> these oh. things in a very long time. Well, Certainly thank not you. in, the academic, not in yeah. the academic context. Well, thank you so much. Uh, likewise, I mean, this has been great. I've been, it's really a great honor to finally speak with you because um, I read your book years ago and that was in part of the whole process of, of uh, kind of putting a lot of this stuff out there and very um, inspirational in that sense. So, um, so it's great to finally kind of complete that loop and, and do this. And yeah, here's to more of this, this kind of stuff happening. So uh, Raul Eshman, thank you so much and um, take care. We'll talk soon, maybe. Okay. Thank you very much, Brendan.